Vicky Wuxier started investing in property in 2008 and has been named in The Telegraph's top UK's 25 most influential people in property. She is an inspiring speaker, mentor and author of five books, including finalist in the Business Book Awards in March 2020. In March 2020, at the same time, Vicky moved from public speaking to be invited as a regular on podcasts across Europe, the Middle East, Australia, America and Canada, as well as here in the UK and on the Cashflow Show. If you'd like to hear more of what Vicky Wuxier does and how she does it and how it can help you in your business and your entrepreneurial journey, come back after the break. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Koch and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favourite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at The Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. Hello and welcome to the Cashflow Show. My guest today is Vicky Wuxier with a long and illustrious um, uh, record in dealing with property and wealth and investing. And she'd like to share that with us today. Hello, Vicky. How are you? And welcome to the Cashflow Show. Hi, Clayton. I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for inviting me. You are most welcome. Um, I've given you a brief intro there to share with our audience and um, the Cashflow crew in itself. But what I'd love to do is for you to tell me what your business is about and how you, what's your elevator pitch? How do you describe what you do? Well, like most businesses, we've all changed dramatically over not only the last two years, but but generally throughout our business lives. And while I started off and I would have told you that I helped people invest in property, actually what I would say now is that I help small business owners and senior executives recognise what a wealthy life means to them. And I do that by helping them identify their financial resources, time, knowledge, experience, and looking at the way that they can make their resources work harder so they don't have to. And that typically means helping some clients invest in property. But more often than not, it's just getting people to realise that there's more to life than money. Excellent. The Cashflow Show, coming to you from the city of London. Real people, real business, real talk. For me, it's always important to find out when we speak to people here on the Cashflow Show, we always are talking to them at the stage which which they've, not the pinnacle of their career, because we hope they have long and lasting <laughs> careers going forward. We don't want it to be the kiss of death. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was doing really well when I spoke to Clayton. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all over, yes. I know um, uh, you, you don't want that. Do you? <laughs> no, no, no um, good things happen to people that come across my path, so you can be sure of that. The thing for us is, is this, is that we'd like to also know what was your first career? Because you talk about where you are now, but obviously there's a backstory behind that. What did you start off doing? But I think with the long and illustrious bit, uh, they, that could be like a one hour show in its own. But I, if we move to the more sort of recent history, I was a university lecturer. Oh. Um, stumbled onto it accidentally. I was um, a mature student. Most students leave school, maybe a bit of travelling, and then they go to uni. And I went off, got married, got two children, got divorced, and then went to university. And do you know what? That's the better way to do it. Do you think because, so? What, the divorce is as well? <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose the divorce bit's optional. I suppose even the children bit's optional. But certainly going to university later, I met so many young people who were going to university because their school said or their parents said, and they may or may not even have been interested in the things that they were doing. Um, and then when I fell into teaching, I was a university lecturer for 11 years. And the number of students I met that fell out, and there's financial consequences to that, you know, fell out the degree. Um, and then other students that did a degree, but 
their passion and their heart wasn't into it. Now, this is a huge expense right at the beginning of someone's life. And I think that if I said to you, and, and I don't know if you've got children, we can come to that. If you've got children and I'm going to give you £60,000, what would you want to spend it on? I don't think a university degree for which I haven't clearly recognised the return on investment is the best investment. Right. You see, this is where the difficulty is, is that I think in life, a lot of people are given paths to follow. If you actually think about what do we need now moving forward, we need more scientists. Most children can't even study science at school in the original form that probably you and I did. I learned biology, chemistry and physics. By the time my children both went to school and one went to a grammar school and one went to an academy, they were teaching something called science as a collective topic. We don't have enough science teachers. If we don't have science teachers, how can we get the scientists that are going to get us out of the environmental messes, that are going to invent the new ways of heating? That's just not possible. And therefore, why pursue standard education that isn't going to teach you the skills that we need for the future? Think about technology. Are we teaching our young children about AI and all these virtual worlds? I'm not sure that I particularly want to live in a virtual world, but there are so many things that we need new knowledge about. And I'm not convinced, as a former university lecturer, that a an expensive three-year degree is the way to do it. And also, why does a degree have to take three years? Why do they have to have a giant summer holiday, which was designed to help people get their children home to collect in the harvest, when nobody is harvesting during July and August? We could do degrees in two years flat. We could save the time. We could maximise the buildings. We could, yeah, so much stuff. I've had a lot of time to think over lockdown and I've reinvented quite a few things I'm afraid. <laughs> I, I think so but at the same time a lot of what you say makes sense. And I'm not saying please don't get me wrong, not all university education is pointless not all um, degrees are worthless. I mean I very definitely think there are specific career paths for which a concentrated knowledge and practical input is, is a very valuable way to go. Lawyers doctors etc a business degree, possibly even a computing degree. I mean, I remember hearing about a Harry Potter degree. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of stuff for which we can rethink. And I live here in a, in a village right next to Royal Holloway University. Before that, I lived next to Brunel University. And I think to myself, some of the young people I'm meeting are just walking debt collection machines. They're not earning and they're incurring debt. And that is going to shape their lives going forward. Yes. Definitely. The problem is, is the way that society is structured. I know American societies and we'll be having some American guests on on the cash flow show going forward. From what I gather, it's it, it's the concept of creating credit. But one of the things I wanted to look at, you then moved away from your university career. At what stage did you then step into property and or wealth creation? Sure. So uh, it was less stepping away and more being shoved out the, the back door, really. I got, got made redundant that's, um, that's a bit rough <laughs> well, yeah. well, that's exactly how it felt you know 11 years leading modules running projects being project directors i was a, a director of new deal for communities out in south kilburn all sorts of stuff and then government funding changed that was it project over and and i was out the door and it was a huge shock because I loved what I did. I I was in such a privileged period of my life. I had enough money. I had a home. I had a partner. My children and I and all of us, we were healthy and I loved my job. And then it was all gone. And recognizing financial vulnerability really for the second time in my life, because when my marriage ended, then obviously there's a there's a huge shake up there and financial vulnerabilities that come with that. But this time I thought I'd got it right. You described life, wasn't it, as, as a path that we're on. I, I'd done everything I was told to do. I've gone to all the schools, I've, I've got all the degrees, I've got the master's degree, I've got the job, and then someone could pull the rug and never again am I going to allow that to happen to me. Never again am I going to allow someone other than me to be 
100% in control of where my money comes from. And obviously, I'm saying that now with hindsight, I didn't have that language at the time, but I very definitely had that feeling. And uh, when I got made redundant, I'd got quite a good database of contacts in the education and, and government fields. And I thought that I could be a consultant because I'd worked with consultants over, you know, the last 10 years. It's got to be easy with the stuff I know. It's not because all the people knew me as someone who came and did stuff for free. And that's because through the projects and through the university, they paid my wages, but I could show up at your organisation and make the difference in your organisation, but it didn't cost you any money. Now, when I came knocking at the front door as Vicky, the human being, and asking you for money, they didn't have the funding streams. And so then I started to really learn how important it is to sort of understand who your client is. You know, I thought my client was the school, but it's not because the school doesn't pay. The same as sometimes when people are setting up businesses for the children, the, the children might be the user, but the client is the parent because the kids don't have the money. The parent has to pay. So sort of understanding that side of things. And really after about, oh, I think, probably six months maybe nine months of of you know feeling like I was banging my head against a brick wall I got an email to invite me to some personal development course so a lot of your uh, listeners have probably heard of Tony Robbins this was a guy called Chris Howard so he was sort of an Australian version slightly less wary and not as tall and I did <laughs> I did his personal development stuff starting at about the end of 2007 um, and then literally 2008 and the bulk of 2009. I was in the NLP cult. I was hooked. I had been an educator for 11 years and I never knew this stuff. I'd got a postgraduate diploma in higher education. I'd got um, a master's in education and I didn't know the stuff that I was learning through NLP and I was totally hooked. So I, I went through all the program myself, became a master NLP practitioner and trainer and learned to do um, hypnosis um, and then crude for them and everything else. But in that process, while I was hooked in a junkie and the family would call me a cult member, and when we used to joke about it like that, I also was almost split personality on on the one hand the knowledge was going in and my educator brain was going oh my gosh look at this look at the application of that and oh now that makes that makes sense and now I really understand how the mind works and the other side of my brain was going right now if you apply this to that you'll get this result now if you do this you'll get that result and yeah I just I realized that I needed to learn more about money that I needed to learn more about investment that I needed to put my this is going to sound awful the way I say it but but put myself first and above everything else there's nothing the, wrong with that well it sounds selfish and it sounds ego but if you put it that way round, to the point at which I can get myself to the position where I am now self-sufficient because if I am self-sufficient, I am not a drain on the government. I am not taking resources from other people that need me more. Um, I can now be secure in anything that I do moving forward because I know I have the right amount of income coming in. I know what the minimum is. I know what my current maximum is I can make plans and then you can literally shift yourself to another way of thinking and yeah that was that was 2000 and late 7 through to 2019 and then I just started investing in property again another one of those popped along knew knew that this was a good idea but did not have the language and I think that was the same thing with education and I and I wonder if that's the problem that we are facing globally we do not have the language to to solve the problems we are facing because they are new and unusual to us and so your listeners might be facing problems on a on a personal scale on a family scale on a community scale or or we're all facing problems on a global scale and we can't google it because we don't know the words we don't know the search terms and other people haven't googled it and therefore google doesn't know the search terms so we're stuck in this sort of ignorance loop and it's only when you can identify an opportunity and it might not be perfect but it's just 
just enough to get you from where you were to a little bit further forward and then you learn something and then you can spot a different opportunity that you couldn't have spotted two steps earlier and that's well I think that's the wonder of knowledge and education and learning and meeting people and having mentors and reading books and everything else is I can learn something today that will maybe sit and percolate for a little bit, be added to something I already knew. And then tomorrow I'm going to see something differently that is the opportunity that I've been looking for. But I couldn't have seen it yesterday because I simply didn't have the language to understand and make sense of it. That to me is actually very interesting because you've touched on quite a few points there, but I wanted to let you speak. The thing that was interesting to me is this cult of NLP and this cult of courses. I have a dear friend of mine and she, by her own admission, admits that she was a course junkie. She'd go on all these courses and all these courses and money-making courses, property courses, and we're going to lead, this will segue into property. And all of these courses, and she went on all of them, and very much the Tony Robbins and that kind of stuff. And I've got strong feelings about things like that. I think there are things that you can take away from those situations. But I, I think that people want to be like the person that's dealing that they are seeing on the stage mm -hmm. and I think people like Mr Robbins are very charismatic in the way that they come across and I think if you're looking for something it it seems just almost it is quite religious in a way the fervor with which people get involved in stuff I tend to be... What's the word? Skeptical. Yeah, incredibly skeptical. I, I think at the end of the day, I look at a person and I literally look through them, not to their underwear or something. It's nothing <laughs> weird like that. But it, it, to me, everybody's got a soul. There are certain things that that people say that just don't sit very well with me. I know. I, I absolutely agree with you. And there were... There was a huge cult, wasn't there? Of And, and maybe there is still now. And I've just don't see it as as such as uh, anymore but this huge cult of i don't know property gurus financial gurus get rich quick schemes and you you see them all over the place and i feel probably much like you that they're designed to prey on desperate people oh yes without a doubt they are they are dropped into certain communities and it's basically a ponzi scheme some of these yeah. Well, a Ponzi scheme, at least some of the people in the scheme benefit as well as the person at the top. No, no, I'd go, I'd go, I'd say this is worse. This, the, These schemes are designed to make the person at the top rich, nobody else. I crewed on the, the Chris Howard NLP training and I was never paid. And I was in a room with maybe 60 to 100 people that were paying three grand a, a seat. And we didn't even get free teas and coffees or a free lunch. Wow. You know, so there's, there's a real business model there that is designed to make the person at the top rich and I think that they are designed to bring people through ads into weekend events and they come into the weekend event and they are not frankly interested whether you as the individual succeed or not and when you come into these big group events there is the advantage for some people that you can get lost in the crowd so that you don't have to stand out, you can't be picked on. But equally, if you're spending money on something, if I was spending money on something, I want teacher to pick on me. I want teacher to make sure that I've gained the maximum knowledge and that they're testing my knowledge and that I'm being successful. Because otherwise, why have you spent your money? And what I've noticed through that period is that we will all at some point in our lives, maybe maybe not you if you're very sceptical, but we will all at some point in our lives join some programme or other, whatever it's called. And in that, if you can now reflect back, you will see people who came into that that were going to be successful no matter what. And then you will see a few people who came into it and because and only because of that programme, it turned their life around. And you will see the majority 80% of people that go in and come out and 10 years later, their lives have not significantly changed. And so what you've got to think to yourself is, who, who am I? Am I the person who would be successful anyway? And if I spend this money, it's going to accelerate my success 
by let's make this mathematical five years and therefore I'll earn a thousand pounds a year more, which will give me five thousand pounds. The course is three thousand pounds. It's a good investment. I'm going to invest three to speed up my earning of five or am I one of the 80 percent and I'm going to spend three grand and I'm frankly not going to do anything. We know the phrase, don't we? Shelf development. All this stuff, you pick it all up and then it goes on the shelf. That's what a lot of people do. I mean, we're always taught now we've got to keep learning. You've got to keep improving. You've got. So there's somebody there that's willing to take your money. I mean, the amount of money that is is wrapped up in courses and in training, it's a phenomenal amount. And now that people have managed to move their courses online, they're killing it. But I do think that a lot of course prices have been cut dramatically too in in that. But I think what I would do, just as somebody who has come from an education background is just defend education for the moment. I think education, and maybe this is the thread all the way through up until now, education for the sake of education may not teach you anything useful. Hmm. That's school, university, or a get rich quick course. Identifying your knowledge gap, seeking out someone who has a credible path that you can follow and that will provide you with the support over and above the pure knowledge that they are going to share to enable and ensure as much as is humanly possible that you do not allow this to sit on the shelf is worthy of investment. And I have practically since, uh, well, since the days of, of doing these courses back in 2008, at least every year had a minimum of one mentor or one program, whether it was um, whether it was called some sort of a mastermind group I was in so that I was with, um, you know, like minded people led by someone who was ahead of us or whether I was actually on a specific course. Even even this weekend, we went on a project management course. I used to teach project management at one point, but I wanted to immerse myself back in one day of project management because we're about to start a refurbishment development. And I just wanted to get my head back in that space. Now, what I noticed on that day is in the morning I was fully engaged. We were all engaged. We were asking questions in the afternoon. It became a little bit more PowerPoint like. And Bob pointed out to me that I was playing my game on my phone um, and he thought I wasn't listening. Without being rude, I was a trifle bored. So by playing a game that didn't take a lot of concentration, I was entertained. But what I was doing was half of my head had wandered off again, was listening, but was applying it. And then I was still making notes on the side. So I would look like I wasn't engaged because I was playing my game. But then I would pause my game and make a pile of notes because I'd been processing stuff. So the afternoon saw me make as many notes as in the morning, just not, if you like, the ABC that was being taught in the afternoon. I was off doing quadratic equations you know, A plus B equals R over Z divided by two or something, you know. Um, And I think that if you can use, use might be not quite the right word, but if you could use any mechanism that suits your learning style to improve the quality of questions that you ask, that could be worth your investment as long as at the end of it you can ask better questions than you did when you start and you become whatever it is i want to be more healthy so i need to ask better health questions and now i am more healthy because i've got those answers and i've applied those answers and now i'm asking better questions again or i want to learn spanish so now i can speak spanish and now i can because i can speak it i can read it and therefore i can go and get a job in spain because that was my goal or like me i want to invest in property so i've understood how property works ask those questions and now that i've understood how property works and how money works and all of the the little pathways that i've been down over the last you know 15 odd years i would turn around and say 
that the questions I'm asking now are not about property. They're not even about how money works. They're about more like the meaning of life. What is a wealthy life? What does it mean to live a wealthy life? And once I understand what a wealthy life means to me, what are the resources that I need in place to make that happen? And that's what I do with my clients now. My questions are phenomenally better and, and way up and beyond just property investment. Property investment is a tool in order to have a wealthy life and a wealthy life is the thing that you want. You don't necessarily want properties and a property portfolio. You want a reliable income that enables you to spend your time in the way you want, doing what matters to you with those you care about. Staying with property, when did you realise that property was important to you? How did you get started? Ah, they're two different questions. That's I... interesting. <laughs> when did I when did I recognise and start thinking about property? Probably about 17, and I'll come back and explain that in a minute. When did I start investing in property? 2008, like maybe... I don't know, nearly 20 years later. Mm. And, and it started with my grandparents when they died. Well, so first of all, my grandma died. So we moved in to look after my granddad. But my mum and dad had a house down the road. And they just left that house, walked down the road, moved in with my granddad. And we all just stayed there. And then eventually he died. Now we had two houses. I did not have the language, neither did my parents, to go, well, if we're going to move in with grandpa why don't we rent the other house out and generate an income from it and, and we didn't have that language because we didn't have that language we didn't know who to ask to help us and we didn't even know that it was a thing and then it goes on and on again and then with my granddad's house it was on a, a large plot of land why don't we develop the land why don't we we need to sell this house eventually because it's not suitable for us why don't we get planning permission for the three plots and then sell it with planning permission it'll be worth probably double what it is we didn't have that language we didn't know to do that and so we didn't do it and so on and so on and then eventually I got to that point where I got this first word property investment and property investment made me then ask a question that explained what property investment was and then it was like you pulled that final straw out of Kaplunk or the final book out of the Jenga game the whole lot just came down but not in a bad way like it collapsed it was like a download all this all these thoughts all these little pieces puzzle pieces have been sitting and I imagine them sort of sitting on the top of my head and then the word property investment just pulled open the trap door they fell in they all joined up they made pictures they made sense and it was like oh my goodness me that's what this has all been about. And it was as if there was this ripple backwards down my timeline. Everything in my timeline, everything in my history now made sense. Ah, that's what it was. It was that word, but I didn't know that word. Yeah, it was. Yeah, this is I'm having quite a spiritual conversation here by myself going, oh, yeah, I remember all these things now. In all the, in all the <laughs> well, the thing is, Sometimes it's the questions that you ask. And I, I tend to ask questions that people don't because I'm just completely strange. But that's neither here nor there. I mean, it, it, I like to get deep into people. And that's why a lot of people just find it a bit, oh, that's an interesting question. Because all of this stuff is interesting to me. Because property, you're talking about the language. You use the expression, the language, a lot. Mm. And I wouldn't use the word language even though you're probably better qualified to say it than I am, I would use the word vocabulary. Yeah, yeah, I know. No, I completely agree with you. And and I think we're sort of splitting hairs as to whether it's language or vocabulary. We're talking about the same thing. It's It's about a piece of knowledge that is missing that then makes everything make sense. I mean, I remember when I was in the education world, we would talk about it being the translator. You know, what translates the knowledge in universities into business and what translates what business needs are back and what translates what you can see out there as opportunities into you being able to understand that it's property investment or 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 even cryptocurrency or anything else you know it's it's 
it's the bit that demystifies and enables you to make sense of the world in a different way and answer better questions because with better questions you can then take better decisions and better actions and then achieve more now again there's another word there better this doesn't have to be an endless pursuit for better it's just about how you can work out what is the most efficient or expedient next step to take in order to achieve what it is that you want to achieve not that it has to be an endless pursuit of better because as a an obsessive compulsive perfectionist um i've had to sort of train myself out of that it's not about always being first and i've spent a lot of my life my whole university was about you know getting that first class degree it's not about always being top of the class always getting an a always scoring the highest point it's about what is the best use of your time in order to then create the life that you want a lot of people don't trust banks or pensions and are looking to property in order to, to not necessarily enrich themselves but to make sure that they can survive how can people create wealthy lives via property? Well, I, I think that is is a very useful point to, to look at, not trusting banks or, or any of that sort of stuff. I think that it's healthy to have scepticism, but I think also I'm not sure that trust is what you need. You need to understand what their objectives are. What is the objective of the bank? The objective of the bank is to make money for its shareholders, plain and simple. And when you arrive there as a customer wishing to borrow money, um, you're not a shareholder. It simply wants to make money out of you for the shareholder. If you go and deposit money, it wants to pay you as little as possible. When you become the shareholder, you are a different party in the banking system. So, it's never been so much about trust for me as understanding, again, who is the client and what's the purpose of the client in this relationship. So if we then start to think about property, property can put you in a position where now you have a choice. You can buy your house outright with cash, your investment property outright with cash, and you can. And then you don't involve the banks or the mortgages. You don't have to pay interest. But from a mathematical equation perspective it's not the best use of your money at times when interest rates are low or when you can make it so that you can rent the property out for more than the cost of the mortgage make a healthy and when i say healthy i mean cover your risks profit and then you've got two things Unlike with many forms of investment with property, you will have the brick and mortar building and that has a value now and that value can be enhanced by you actively by decorating or even extending. But it can also be enhanced by the market over which you have no control, but is a nice piece of icing on the cake. But you also have a tenant. And as long as you treat that client, your tenant well, they will pay you. They will also share and take care of the property for you if you're lucky and you've treated them well and vetted them well. And then what you've got is two potential forms of income, your capital or capital gain, and you've got your revenue. The most important thing is the revenue because without the revenue, you can't pay the mortgage. So you've got to have a tenant. You've got to have a tenant that takes care of the property and pays. And then you're going to be in a position where you've got positive cash flow or a profit coming out the other end. And that starts to give you a second stream of income and therefore greater financial security than if you are only relying on either a job or a business that you run for your income. So that to me is the way that you can create a wealthy life because you can take money that you've got that is sitting wherever it's sitting, not making as much as you could make if you leveraged it by taking out a mortgage and then use 25% of your cash to 75% of a loan, make sure that the tenant is well managed and pays enough to cover all the costs and give you a profit and out the other end, you've now got 
a greater return on your money. I mean, my clients, even in limited companies, are getting between seven and nine percent return on their money. And you can't get that anywhere else. And they've got a physical asset that can also be gaining in value. If you think of gold or diamonds or silver or oil or any of that stuff, you've got an a tangible asset, something you could touch, but you're not getting a monthly revenue from it. You only make money when you sell it. Well, then as soon as you've sold it, you've just got rid of the golden goose. You don't have any eggs now because you don't even have a goose anymore. With property, you've got the goose, the golden goose from the fairy tales, which is your property. And then you've got the tenant who is laying you the golden eggs on a monthly basis. If you look at crypto, if you look at stocks and shares, if you look at trading, any of those things, they either give you cash now because you're trading time. Well, that's a job. Or they give you cash based on market performance, which is a gamble and a once a year thing if you sell your asset. Property brings the two together. And that, that sort of appealed to me because you've got both things in, in one basket there. This is what I wanted to move on to. People who want to use property as a wealth gaining structure. Uh, so just take the second half of your sentence, which is about dealing with potential tenant debt. Yeah. That, like all things, it's down to setting the system up right in the first place so that you don't get the debt. Yes, any debt. I mean, you could say on a business to business basis, if um, you were an accountant, for example, and you did my accounts and submitted them for me and then I didn't pay you, then getting the money out of me would be just as difficult as if I was a tenant that had rented your property and not paid the rent. You don't want to be in that situation you want to get back before that and have the systems in place and that's that's one of the things that my property side of my business really does for my clients is it's not just about which so many sourcing businesses do they just find you the property and hand it over and whoopie do you're on your own you don't know what's going on or potentially they might even rent it out for you my business is about helping my clients set up a property business gain that vocabulary gain that language that they need work with them through the first year of their owning their property so that my team have the systems in place and my clients then learn the systems learn how to manage the letting agent that i've put them with so that they're managing the systems that are in place so that we don't get tenants that we can't find occasionally we would i mean rarely i mean in the last five years can i think in the last five years of a tenant that has not paid Naughty Nicola, yes. So naughty, because um, we have names for the naughty tenants. Naughty Nicola didn't pay, granted, and she was so cheeky that when her son broke his arm on the trampoline, she tried to say that the kitchen cupboard door had fallen on him and tried to um, sue me for that. But we had insurance in place. My letting agent dealt with it, all of it. She and I would have a conversation every three or four weeks about the situation. And and naughty Nicola is probably the last person that didn't pay me and she was a hangover from a previous letting agent so she didn't come in through the new system um yeah and it just it just hasn't happened with the way we run the business now it's just not there there are a lot of people who i would describe as amateur landlords and landladies sure classic isn't there where you get left a property in a will from from a relative passing on and then you're actually an accidental landlord I totally agree and I do think that it's a business that needs to be run professionally but I think rather than professional I am I run a business and one of my businesses investing in property I'm, I'm a business person the same as you're a business person your business model is collecting debt on behalf of your clients and my business model is collecting rent from my clients and I think that's the whole point you've drilled things down to its its bare minimum and you've mm. you've taken that to for exactly what it is and I think there's a lot to be said for that definitely now I want to try and see if I can find out a bit more about Vicky Woucher as an individual. So let's talk about what your favourite book is. Now we're going to get personal now. Well, that's an easy <laughs> it, it, um, It's The Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield. I always say this. And if you remember how I was saying that the point to learn is to to get the language to ask better questions because then when you get the better questions you can see opportunities today that you couldn't see yesterday because 
the language pops into your head that is exactly what that story is about it's i mean when i read it it's a story of a young man on a journey if you like of personal discovery but the lesson that i took from it was that there are opportunities all around us and you just have to be able to see them and then for me i thought okay how can i see the opportunities it's that I need to learn how to converse in the world where my opportunities lie. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. And That's, I said it's, it comes back, and I think, to your vocabulary statement. And I think it's uh, being able to converse in that language. And mm-hmm. everything that you do, whether you're in part of a knitting club or you're, you're a part of, a, you know, a, a winemaking club, every industry, every area in life has its vocabulary and if you understand that and it has and you understand that language you can then move freely amongst it i mean you yep. then ultimately speak various vocabularies or various languages because you then move amongst either property or wealth building etc etc yeah yeah on the, on the other side though if you were to sort of ask me on the personal side i don't enjoy reading a book to learn from anymore that's not my preferred style i prefer to speak to learn i want to listen and i want to question i don't i don't want to sit and plow even though i've written loads of books that please everybody do go out and buy and read them because they'll be really helpful to you it's not my preferred learning style because i get too overexcited I then need a notepad to write all the questions and then I've got no one to give me the answers because I then can't get hold of, I don't know, if you were reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I'm not going to get hold of Kiyosaki to answer my questions. (laughs) I I like to read books that are um, just pure entertainment. So whether it's James Patterson or Michael Connolly or any of Balducci, any of those books, also like murder, death, kill books. That's that's my preferred if I'm going to read, like read in the bath or read in bed. Um, and the other thing is Tom Evans, who's um, an English. What would he be? Part magician, part philanthropist, part mindset, music, podcast uh yeah guy that sort of captures several of the words around him and he's um one particular book i particularly like although he's written lots i think 11 or 12 is the zone and that's a way of understanding how you can well get in the zone there is a phrase getting in the zone in the zone or in your flow and looking at how you can do that and he's sort of unpicked the major and minor arcana the cards uh, that are often used in, um, you know, the occult decks, tarot cards, but taking them back to their origin to understand them as recipes um, so that if you want to be more focused, then you maybe need to be in the peaceful zone so that your head can be quiet. You need to be in the enlightened zone so that you can let the ideas come in. Um, and then maybe because you want to be focused, you maybe want to be grounded or uh, maybe you want to be filled with gratitude or something. So you can pull together these elements, these recipes and between the zone. And I think the other book was called The Flavors of Thought, something like that. Just a really interesting way of thinking. I want to achieve something. What state do I need to be in? What zone do I need to be in to achieve this state? And then what are the three things that I'm going to bring together in order that I can have the right mindset to achieve it? So that would, but I don't read them all the time. Those are books I have read. Okay, excellent. Now, music. I'm going to give you two scenarios to make it a a little bit easier, break it down. You're Mm -hmm. getting ready for a night out. It's going to be a good night out. I don't know if you still go out or you keep a low profile or what. Well, the last couple of years has been an extremely low. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, when you pulled back your sofa and you were dancing around your coffee table, what was your record (laughs) to um, uh, get in the mood to party? Well, I think if it was actually partying, then it's it's either salsa if we're dancing, Latin American, that just moves me. Can't sing to it because I don't know Spanish, but I can make strange noises. But uh, the rhythm, it, it can just... 
transport me to all the Latin and salsa dancing that I used to do. Cool. Uh, but also when we have friends over and if there's a little bit of high-spirited enjoyment, goodness, sorry, that's the blinking bell. I'll answer that question again. Sorry. And then if we have friends over and there's some high-spirited enjoyment, then it's songs you can sing to, really. Okay. Um, and one of our favourite, of course, is Oh, Caroline. Um, oh, gosh, it's not Oh, Caroline, is it? Sweet Caroline. I'm sure it's that. Yeah, Sweet Caroline. Oh, Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond, yeah. You just, just anything you can shout to <laughs> instead of singing. If you've got to sing to it melodically, it's probably further down the list. If you can shout to it as well, because you can't sing at the top of your voice without having a smile on your face. True. That's why they call them anthems. <laughs> so yeah um, um, sweet caroline has become an anthem now by neil yeah. diamond so yeah that's a very interesting choice excellent i'm Bri glad you asked it that way around because i thought you were going to go uh, so what's your favorite band what's your favorite record and i'm so not brand loyal it, that <laughs> really challenging <laughs> well no i mean as i said everybody's got their it just gives people an idea of what you're like as an individual what you're like as a person so it's it's <laughs> an alternative <laughs> really loudly <laughs> <laughs> well the thing is we're going to start to um, uh, cruise into the descent stage i sound like a pilot mm -hmm. um, um and i wanted to ask you a few more questions and one of the, the ones that really wanted to get to is that when did you first realise the difference between rich and wealthy? I think I've been coming to that since about 2015. Um, my latest book, The Wealthy Retirement Plan, I published January 2019, but I think I first started writing a version of it in 2015. And that's really when time... Uh, was the the core of my thinking or time was the thing that I was starting to yeah maybe the next thing that I was trying to get the language for so it's when I I I've got property right I understand money leverage yeah property investment systems got it all da 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 da, da. and then time popped up and again it's another one of those things where you know when you asked me about property I said to you oh well property was first when I was 17 when my grandparents died but I didn't have the language now that I can understand time in a way that makes sense to me time first came up um, when I was married and that's how I think I've ended up divorced is because I knew that I wanted more or different than I had because time was too short to be miserable and live in a way that made you unhappy and live in a way that, you know, was not a role model for my children. So time has been there all the way along and time is the essence of a wealthy life. Okay. Because wealthy life is, as I said before, being in a position where you can do what you love, with people you care about or do the things you care about with people you love and that requires money a degree of money it's surprisingly how little money this needs i have conversations with people and one of my clients needs less than two thousand pounds a month to then be in a position where they can travel around europe when they want to buy wine trade wine he's having a wonderful time but it's you know it's like 24 grand a year doddle and i mean he's got so many properties he doesn't know what to do with himself because he's got more than he needs so he hasn't got just enough he's got much more than enough excellent he can, he can do what he wants he's got a wealthy life right and, that, and that's what people are looking for and i mean so for people who are listening to this and they want maybe one or two easy tips, not necessarily because you've got your books, which will be coming to, which they can always pick up if they want to know the full Monty. But um, um, what are some easy tips for, for, for the listeners or, and the cash flow crew here who want to build wealth? A couple of easy tips that they can do. Like, you know, stop drinking and smoking and carousing. Is that, is that one of them? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd go that there, there are four habits 
of the truly wealthy. And the first one is clarity. What does this mean to you, this thing wealth? Because if you're hung up on the numbers, the money, you're potentially coming at it from the wrong angle because there's never going to be enough money and the numbers are never going to be big enough to give you joy. The joy is a feeling and you've got to come back to that. So come back to what are the things that matter to you most. So that's the clarity. And once you've got the clarity, then what you need is the control. So you can be completely clear. What I love doing is I do love my job or I do love my business, but I also want to spend time with this family member or those friends or this passion. Well, in order to do that, I need to make sure my finances are in order, because if my finances are in order, I can't relax and do the things that I love because I'm worrying about the next bill that's coming in. And so that will suck the joy out of the rest of the time you have when you're not working to try and raise enough money to pay the bills. So let's get in control. And it's a simple maths thing. And I know that when you say maths, like, oh, there's going to be someone wishing that they could turn the podcast off. Stay, stay. It's okay. Go to your happy place. (laughs) Maths gives people a shiver because they remember it from school. And it doesn't have to make you miserable. It is a basic skill as important to your life as breathing, blinking, your heart beating and digestion. And you just need to know how to add up and take away at the baseline. That's it. Because if you are spending more than you earn, you are down a path of trouble. It's that drinking, smoking and carousing. I warned you. I told you. (laughs) (laughs) If that's what made them happy. But, you know, just simple things like, You see adverts everywhere, um, all these loan companies. And if you read the small print, I remember photograph photograph of one the last time I was on a train like a million years ago. And it said um, you could you could if you've got debt problems, you could apply for this credit card or something. Do you know what? I looked at it and the percentage rate was four thousand percent. So for every pound you borrowed, you were going to have to pay back four thousand pounds. But people don't read the small print because that's where the maths lies. And then they think they don't understand it. You know, so get in control. That's that's really key. Number three is resources and leverage. Understand what you've got, um, what you can control, what you can access through family and then look at how you can make it work harder for you. So just a simple thing like your time. So I want to set up my own business. Okay, great. Well, what are you doing about it? Oh, I never seem to have enough time. Okay, well, what do you do with your time? Well, I like a two-hour bath every night, and then I watch three hours of telly. And what do you do at the weekends? Well, I walk the dog, um, then I go to a yoga class, then I go shopping with the kids. Okay, so actually you've got plenty of time, but what you're saying is my priority is to set up a new business, but you're you're not letting your time as a resource share that same value. Okay, I want to invest in property. Right. What's your problem? I don't have enough money. Okay, what money do you have? What do you spend your money on? The number of people who think they have a lot of money and then actually what they've got is um, an incredible Amazon store of boxes in the back garden or something. Yes. So, you know, you say you don't have any money, but I know that you have because I can see how much stuff you bought from Amazon. So or, or the number of holidays you have or the fact that you have to have a brand new car every year. It's about priorities. And that's what I say. Number one, clarity. Be clear what you want. Be in control of your finances so that your money is going in the right direction, not the wrong direction. And then look at the resources that you've got and make sure that they are lined up with what your goals are and that you're making them work hard for you. And then that's it. And then the fourth one is is legacy and contribution and how you can give back. That's the fourth part of, of a wealthy life. But you've got to get the first three steps right. In order to have something for the fourth step. Yeah, okay. totally. A lot of this is taken from stuff that you've experienced, that you've learned, but also at the same time, obviously, you've written, is it five books now? Yeah, written, I've got five of my own titles. One of them is a story, um, but I also contribute regularly to other people's books. So I've been in a collaborative book called A Woman's Work. I've recently contributed to Property Nightmares. I've got a chapter in Successful Women in Business. What else have I been in? Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. Get me out of here. (laughs) 
yeah, all sorts of all sorts of different books. Brilliant. Um, so, where can people find your books? Oh, well, that's easy. With a name like mine, as long as you can spell it, you can find me on Amazon. So, um, if you look up Vicky Wushe, so Vicky is spelled V I C K I, and then the Wushe is usually the easy bit. Um, W-U-S-C-H-E you can find my books that way but also if you can spell my name you can come to the website and when you come to vickywashay.com and you go through to the resources page there is a free book that you can get on there or man- more of a workbook manual which is called The Four Habits of a Truly Wealthy Life uh, which picks up on those points that I was just talking about. Excellent so also at the same time I wanted to know for Vicky Woucher, what does the next six to 12 months hold? Um, I'm, I'm making my life based on I don't mind what anybody else is doing, really. So it doesn't matter whether we're locked in, locked out, locked up, locked down. I'm, I'm just going to keep going, doing what I do. And I will be like Muhammad Ali uh, and his famous, you know, light on his feet. What did he do? Sting like a... Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Yeah, well, I don't sting like a bee, but I'm floating like a butterfly, which ties in with my garden metaphor as well. So, you know, it's, as it goes, I'm looking to drive the business forward. It's been incredibly busy this year. I, I don't think I've worked this hard since about 2015, 2016, quite frankly. Um, looking at, we've just launched the new website, looking at all the social media marketing and everything for next year to move the business forward. But if we went into lockdown, my business wouldn't change. I would just shift to more podcasts and more videos and giving the content out. And then when the market opens up, I'll go back to buying properties and having conversation with business owners about how they can create wealthy lives. And I think that's what we've all got to do. You know, I think we mentioned it right back at the beginning. There's the traditional way that we used to do things. Yes. And there's the way that we now need to do things. And I think what we now need to do is to have light and adaptable businesses that no matter what goes on, because of the financial security we have at a personal level, of course. we adaptive with our businesses. Mm. Very true. I, mean, I think that is the way forward. And I think, unfortunately, I think businesses that don't do that will not survive. And, you know, it's because we're all primarily business owners um, um, who who listen and take part in the programme. So that's obviously a thing that we need to look at going forward. So you've been really gracious with your time, but there are people who are going to listen to this and say to themselves, that Vicky lady, <laughs> because, <laughs> because nobody can get my, my last name, Coke, right? So Rouché, they're going to have even a bit of, <laughs> bigger problem. But if they say, that Vicky woman, where do I get hold of her? What would you say? Uh, well, like I say, spell my name and Google me because under my name, you'll find all my social media profiles come up. I'm fairly straightforward. Everything is under the name of Vicky Boucher. It's just just really easy to find me. Okay. Uh, yeah. You're a rare person because there's lots of people who've got, oh, I've got an Instagram here. I've got a TikTok here. I've got a Pinterest here. So, And it's usually because you can't get the name that you want. Yeah, no. <laughs> They are all Vicky Wushe, except for blinking Instagram, where I have got a Vicky Wushe account, but I've locked myself out. So I have to have Vicky underscore Wushe as the only account that I can get into. I don't know what I've done there. but oh, Don't worry, that, something, it's something to do with Facebook. They did oh, it to me. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But I think the thing is that... You know, whether you whether you want to read the books, Google me, I'm on Amazon. If you want to watch videos, find me on YouTube. If you want to connect, then either email me or message me on Facebook. If you want to be more business-like, then do it on Instagram. If you want to read about what I've done or access the resources. I mean, previous podcasts that I've done with other podcast hosts or um, the, the resources that I talked about, the Wealthy Retirement Plan, I've also got an, an online audit that provides you with a personalised score against all of these principles. That's Excellent. all on the website. Brilliant, brilliant. I, I, I think that's that's what we try to do on the Cash Flow Show. We try to give value, try to yeah. basically share with um, the Cash Flow crew and all the other listeners that effectively that there are people here who are probably addressing things that you're thinking about that maybe you want to do going forward and the resources are out there. So Vicky, 
thank you ever so much for agreeing to appear on the Cashflow Show. We really appreciate it. We've come to the end of the Cashflow Show for today, but I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the word really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for real people, real business, real talk. Hey, Cashflow Crew, if you've ever wished that you could highlight episodes Kindle style and share specific moments, you can now do so using the Clever.fm app. In addition, you can filter episodes by tags, transcribe our episodes live, and click on links to things like books, articles, or definitions as you listen along. Download the app on iOS or Android by going to clever.fm and listen to the Cashflow Show for an enhanced experience. We'll see you there.